Once again, happy Easter. Welcome to everyone here. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online too. Uh, my name is Dion and I have been a, a pastor now for 13 Easters, which isn't a lot of time, but um, over the course of that time, I've learned some things over, over those 13 years. One of the things I've learned is not to fret about the weather on Easter. And every pastor and every church staff does this. We're like checking the weather obsessively, wondering what it's going to be like on Easter. And Man, I've lived where it's, you know, rained through Easter's, where it's even snowed on Easter, and um, it's always okay, because Easter is just bigger than the weather, and I've, I've kind of realized to chill out about all that. Uh, I've realized that Easter is not a time to guilt people, or to beat people up about not coming to church enough, or not doing this or that. Uh, yeah, I've been to churches where pastors do that. They take Easter as an opportunity to, like, shame people or guilt people, and I've just learned, like, that's not, that's not how Jesus would do it. And so that's not how I'm going to do it either. I've learned on Easter to keep the message short. Because <laughs> people got brunch to go to. And last night we had about a you know, few hundred kids who were ready to go get Easter eggs and our extravaganza. And you can only stand between kids and Easter eggs for so long before they just run you over and they have their way. And so I've, I've learned to keep the message short. One of my most interesting lessons that I learned, though, at Easter was um, about 11 years ago. I was a pastor at another church up in Michigan. And, uh... <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I, was a, I was a pastor at another church in Michigan, and we were um, getting ready for an Easter series, a series that we were kicking off on Easter, I should say, and we named the series, Can the Sweetness Stay? Can the Sweetness Stay? Now, I don't know if I came up with that title or not. If anyone has proof that I did, I will deny it, because I, I think it was kind of lame, but uh, that was the name of the series, and to pick, the, to pick an image for that series, our creative team met, and we said, you know what, what would convey the sweetness of Easter? And we thought of the most sugary, sweet, quintessential Easter candy out there, we thought of peeps. Peeps, yeah. Um, so I get up there on that first, or on that first Easter service, that, that Easter morning, and, and, uh, and I'm talking about Easter and the sweetness of Easter, and I begin talking about peeps and, you know, th- their sweetness, and I go into this whole metaphor, and I think I've forgotten most of the connections, and so has everyone else since then. Um, but, but I, you know, talking about peeps and the sweetness of Easter, and can the sweetness stay, and and, and, and here's what happens. Unbeknownst to me, the message that people walk away with that Easter is Jesus is risen, which is good. But then the other message is, oh, Dion loves peeps. <laughs> which couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I, in fact, find them disgusting. I've not eaten one in years, and you couldn't pay me enough to eat one today. I, I think they're gross. And so I don't like peeps at all, but, but I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I found out soon enough that everyone just, that's kind of what they took it away. I it took away from it. Either the irony was lost on them, or I laid it on too thick, but they came away thinking, like, I really, really love peeps. All right, no big deal. What's my reputation anyway? Who cares, right? So I, I, uh, I have a day off. I come into my office on Tuesday, and I open up my office door, and I look, and on my table, my meeting table, there is a small stack of Peeps boxes there for me with a note from someone in the congregation going, here you go, we know you love Peeps. I'm thinking, that's weird. No big deal. I come to off my office the next day, the next morning, and in front of my door, another stack of Peeps from someone else this time, which means this is not just one person, this is now a thing, right? Uh, I go to my car at the end of the day, and under my windshield wiper, there on my windshield, like a, like a ticket, um, hooked to my windshield wiper is a, a plastic shopping bag with a whole bunch of beeps inside. <laughs> this is starting to get weird. Um, then someone goes to Walmart when the Easter candy is clearing out, and they buy all the peeps they can, and they bring it to me excitedly, and they're like, look at all these peeps! 
And I didn't have the heart to tell them that I can't stand these things, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what on earth am I gonna do with all of these? Because frankly, it's starting to feel like a plague, really. <laughs> a plague of peeps. And in fact, I started to wonder, like, maybe if Moses would have spent one more day in Egypt, if there would have been 11 plagues rather than 12 plagues, I'm pretty sure this would have been the 11th plague of peeps because people are dropping them off on our front porch and we just come home and there's more peeps sitting on the front porch and people are grabbing my wife at the gym being like, oh wait, I've got something for your husband. (laughs) And meanwhile, our pantry is getting fuller and fuller of these things and I I swear they're mating in there or something because (laughs) there are just more peeps in the pantry than there ever should be. And, And here's the problem. Here's the real problem. You're saying, okay, what's the problem? The real problem is I don't have the ability to throw food away. I guess I was raised during the Great Depression or something, but I can't do it. Like, I yell at my kids all the time about it. I cannot throw food away. So there are all of these peeps. We're never going to eat all of them. I'm not going to touch them. And I can't bring myself to throw them away, and I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Well, uh, finally, I get my reprieve. It's getting closer to summer. All these peeps are in our pantry, still not sure what to do with them. I'm talking to someone about summer, and I'm talking to them about, you know, like what we love in Michigan in summer is we love bonfires. And someone happens to mention to me, they don't know about my peep problem, but they happen to mention to me, they're like, oh, you know what's really good with fires is, is making s'mores out of peeps. Now, suddenly there's a light at the end of the tunnel for me because while I hate peeps, I love s'mores. I mean, who doesn't? And, and better than that, we are planning a trip in just a few weeks. At the, at the time I found out this news, we're planning a trip up to our favorite little lake cabin in Michigan where we are going to have bonfires every night, lots of s'mores. I think finally we're going we're gonna to get rid of these peeps. So the time comes for us to go up north to this lake place and uh, we pack up the car filled with peeps, make just enough room for a couple of kids and diapers and clothes. We get up to the lake. I'm so excited to have our first bonfire to, to finally try these things out, to have something useful to do with all of these peeps. So we start the bonfire. I go and I find the perfect, you know, marshmallow stick, not too fat, but strong enough that it's going to do it. I, I open up a package of peeps. I spear that first peep and I know I take way too much pleasure in doing it. And, and then I start toasting it, roasting it in the fire and I don't like my marshmallows burnt, so I'm getting it just right, and that takes time, right? You know, if you're going to be like a connoisseur of s'mores, just take some time. And, and so I'm getting it just perfect, and uh, as it's just about done, I start to notice as it gets a little drippy and it starts to slide off the end of the stick. And, and I don't know if it's because I had so much invested in these things or what, but I do something really dumb. I, I pull the, the stick back and I reach my hand out. Now, I've never been very good at baseball, so you know the odds of me catching it aren't high, except today I get lucky, and I, and I catch it, and it lands in my hand, and for a moment, I'm so excited that I caught this thing until the fire, the burn comes, right? It's like I'm holding molten lava in my hand, only I think you could probably drop molten lava if you wanted to. The peep won't get off my hand. It's marshmallow. <laughs> And it's, it's just sticking there and burning my flesh. And so long story short, this is how I concluded the rest of my vacation with my hand in a cup of ice water trying to soothe the burn. And my, my lesson was learned, that tough lesson about Easter, never go toe-to-toe with peeps. Now, through all of that, is anyone here going to be bold enough to declare that they still like peeps? Anyone a fan of peeps? Anyone? All right, you can be proud about that. If, if you like peeps, then this is going to be awesome for you. Guys, hit it. Y'all ready for this? It's a peep explosion. 
I can't thank you enough. I've been carting those things around for over a decade. I'm so glad <laughs> to finally be free of them. No. No, they're fresh, actually. And if, if, you're, uh, if you're a little one and, and a younger one and you missed the chance to get one of these, and parents, if this is going to not make your rest of your service torture, we've actually got some people at the side doors who would love to give uh, your, your kid a peep if they want. They can just make their way over to the side doors right now. Um, so uh, we don't want to wreck Easter before it gets started. So you've been burned before, right? In a fire, on the stove something hot, touch the candle, everyone's been there. Today I want to ask you, have you ever felt burnt? It's kind of different. See, when you're burned, the pain lasts, and it's pretty intense, even a small burn, the pain can be intense for a few days. Um, but, But when you feel burnt, it's almost so painful that you don't feel anything, you you go numb. When you've been burned, you know it's going to be temporary, eventually you'll heal. When you've been burnt, you wonder if you'll ever fully be able to heal. I, I've been burnt before, felt burnt before. After a season of working too many hours for too many days in a row and you just kind of wake up and, and you realize that you, you don't feel anything. You don't feel dread. You don't feel joy. You're just kind of, you're kind of numb. That's a sign that you're, you're burnt. Or I've heard of people who have uh, de- just invested themselves in a relationship, loved someone deeply, and uh, that person has not loved them back, and it's been a really painful thing. And, and then they describe just one day they wake up, and they're not sad anymore, they're not in pain anymore. The, the relationship, the broken relationship is still there, except they just don't feel it anymore. They're too far gone. They're burnt. Or I've heard stories of people who have worked for the same company for 35 years, and they get over their 60th birthday, and they get a pink slip. And I mean, they invested themselves in that company. They helped make that company, company successful. And now here they are. They're too far away from retirement, too young to retire, too old to get another job. Still burnt. See, again, when we talk about being burned, we all know what that is like. Um, burns heal, though. When you're burnt, you wonder if you'll ever heal. It's hard to get up in the morning. It's, it's hard to smile. It's hard just to go on through life. Now, there are a lot of things in life that can leave you burnt, toasted, just totally, just nothing left. And uh, some of those things might surprise you. And in fact, in this series, we're going to unpack some of the things in life that are most commonly attributed or or most commonly the causes of us ending up in a place like this. And again, some of them will surprise you. You'd never see them coming. And yet, they're the things that lead us to this place where, where we feel just totally burnt. But today we're going to start with one that is almost synonymous with the series title itself. We're going to talk about hopelessness. Now I'll just acknowledge that it feels weird to talk about hopelessness on Easter, at least at first, because for most of us, Easter's a pretty hopeful day. You wake up and you put on your bright clothes and even when the weather's not great, it doesn't matter. You're looking forward to candy and Easter egg hunts and getting together with family and brunch and whatever else you have in store for the day. Easter has become for us a very, very hopeful day. And so it's almost synonymous with hope. And yet that's not how the first Easter was at all. So if you go back to that first Easter, the very first Easter, the one that gave way to all of these other Easter's, the one like today that we celebrate, if you go back to that first Easter, you will discover a day that was bathed, saturated in hopelessness. See, the disciples, they didn't get up early on Easter morning and put on their colorful clothes and say, hey, what are we going to eat today and who are we going to see Instead, the disciples woke up that first Easter morning with the biggest shame hangover of their lives. 
See, just a couple days before, they, they watched, they stood there as Jesus was arrested and carried off and they did nothing, nothing to aid him. And then Jesus was beaten and he was, he was ultimately crucified. And as he's dying on the cross, he cries out this cry of being forsaken, feeling totally abandoned. And most of them aren't even there to hear it. Even though they promised Jesus, they told Jesus, hey, if anyone tries to come after you, they're going to have to get through us first. If they're going to kill you, then we'll die with you. And yet here Jesus is, crying out his last, and they're not even around to hear it. Even after Jesus died, uh, he had been predicting his death for a while, they were unprepared. And so the Sabbath was coming and Jesus died briefly before the Sabbath and they weren't ready to, to have him properly buried. And so they just, they just kind of throw his body in an empty tomb, unprepared, uncared for, not properly buried. So man, they woke up that first Easter morning and it was very different than how probably most of us woke up today. They were feeling guilt and shame and, and regret And on top of that, I'm sure there was plenty of confusion, maybe some anger, and deep, deep grief. Because this wasn't just the death of a friend. It wasn't just the death of a a teacher or a hero or a mentor. This was the death of, of someone who they believed was God in flesh. And they watched God in flesh die. And then for hours and hours and hours, there's nothing, no movement, no change in the circumstances. And so they start to believe, wait a minute, is there, is there no God at all? Or have we successfully just killed God? Is, is God now dead? Or was Jesus just lying? Are we mistaken? Have we been duped? Is this guy not God in human flesh? No matter how you slice it, it's pretty awful, right? And so they wake up that Easter morning and they've experienced all of this and they're disoriented, they're dizzy, they're feeling beyond burnt, What can possibly come into the situation and make it better? And worst of all was Mary. Now, not Mary, Jesus' mother, although I'm sure it was a horrible day for her too, but Mary, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, she's called. See, we know something about Mary elsewhere in scripture. We know that Jesus did something remarkable for her. It says in scripture that Jesus freed her from the oppression of seven demons. Seven demons. Now, we can't get into what that might look like today. And I I confess, I fully don't understand what that might've been for her. But here's what I know, that this was a woman whose life was, was miserable. It was horrible. She was in a hopeless place, oppressed by seven demons. And then Jesus comes along and he changes her life. He gives her her life back. He takes this hopeless woman and he breathes hope into her life again. She begins to have dreams and plans and and starts to think about her future and and everything is different because of Jesus. And because of that, Mary begins following Jesus. And who would blame her? And after receiving something so powerful, being hopeless and being given hope, why wouldn't you follow Jesus around? But Mary, because of all of that, was taking it especially hard that first Easter because she went from hopelessness to hope Back to hopelessness again. The one who had given her her life back was now gone. And what on earth would that mean for her? Now, thankfully, when it comes to Mary, we don't have to sit around and guess or conjecture. We actually know because her reaction 
to all of the events of Easter are recorded for us in John chapter 20. You can look along page 1087 if, you, uh, if you're here in the room on your Bible, in your Bible. John chapter 20, verse 1, it says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So it's the first day of the week. That means the Sabbath is just recently over. So now Mary can go and do the thing that was, was not done adequately, that they had failed to do on Friday. She can go and properly care for Jesus' body, prepare him for his burial. And you can imagine Mary, um, she's not slept much in the last couple of days, if at all. And the Sabbath is over, so now she can legally go. And so it's still dark, it's very early, and she goes off to the tomb, which is kind of foolish for a couple of reasons. One, it's probably not safe for her to do that. But secondly, we, we know there's this big stone in front of the tomb, right? That she in no way can move by herself. And it's dark and no one's going to be around to help her. And yet grieving people do strange things sometimes, don't they? And you just got to kind of let them. And so Mary, she goes off to the tomb and she's got this problem facing her, except that she gets closer to the tomb. She discovers that the problem is gone. And in fact, she now has a bigger problem. The stone has been rolled away and she doesn't know what that means. So she comes running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Mary makes an assumption, which is a logical one. She thinks, someone's taken Jesus away. They've taken his body. And so she goes to Peter and the other disciple, who's probably John. And she says, do you guys know what they've done with Jesus? Did you come and get him? Did someone else, one of the other disciples, did his family come and take him away? Where is he? Now, this is uh, news to Simon Peter and to John. They have not heard this yet. And so they immediately set off and they, they book it to the tomb. And because there are a couple of men, they, they take it as an opportunity to turn this into a foot race. And, and then John brags in, in the gospel that he gets there first. And, and then Peter goes inside and it ends up with both of them believing. But it says neither one of them understood. They both believe, but neither one of them understood what was going on. And so they just go home. And Mary, she's left there because there's nowhere for her to go. And so she stands outside of the tomb, verse 11, look what happens next. Now Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white. Now they weren't there before. They're appearing just for Mary. Two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Talk about being burnt. Again, I don't don't know if you've been in a place like this, but Mary, she's so far gone, she's so hopeless, she's so burnt that the one she's looking for, running around frantically trying to find, he stands in front of her alive and she can't even see it. All right, hope is there staring her in the face and Mary can't see it. Again, I don't know if you've ever been there in life where it just seems impossible. It seems ridiculous to hope where you think your circumstances can't change where you think there is no happy ending for you. There just can't be. 
where it seems too painful to open up yourself to the possibility of hope. Again, you'd rather just stay numb. You'd rather stay shut off because to hope again might mean you get hurt again and you just can't bring yourself to do that again. See, Mary's in that place. And so Jesus appears and uh, she turns around and she sees him. And, and yet she can't dare to hope. She says, Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. I love that. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. I love Jesus' response. He doesn't guilt her and say, Mary, where were you when I was on the cross? Mary, hello, I came all this way to meet you and you don't even recognize me, Mary? He doesn't bring up old stuff. He doesn't bring up the things that have happened the last few days. He just speaks her name and I imagine him speaking in such a, a tender and knowing voice. Mary. And at once, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Suddenly for Mary, hope is alive again, standing there in front of her. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to the father. Go and say to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. In other words, Mary, I'm not here to stay. So, so don't put your hopes here on holding on to me. I've got to go and ascend to my father, but I will come back someday. And, and then we'll be able to be together and we'll be reunited and there'll be no separation anymore, but I've got more work to do. This isn't permanent even though I'm here and alive, and go tell, go tell my brothers. And so Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. We sang about that earlier. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Mary walked away from the tomb that day, a transformed woman, from hopeless to hope, from hopeless to hope again. My message for you today is simple. Remember, on Easter, you've got to keep the message short. There's brunch and candy waiting for you. But, but here's what I want to say. That the point of Easter isn't just that Jesus came back from the dead to prove a point. To, to prove that he is who he promised to be. Uh, the point of Easter isn't just that Jesus has created a way for us to get to heaven someday. Although that's also true. But that's not the ultimate point. At least not the one I want to talk about today. See, today my message is pretty simple. Jesus came and he came back from the dead to show us that with God, nothing is impossible. See, right now I want you to think of the most hopeless situation in your life. I know it's Easter and you don't want to think about these things, but, but please just think about the most hopeless situation. Where are you fighting against hopelessness in your life? Is it a circumstance? Maybe you've got a house that needs to sell, but it doesn't. Maybe you need to find a job and you can't find the right one. Maybe there's something medical going on with you and you're trying to get answers and you can't find them and you're just fighting hopelessness. Or maybe it's a relationship. We talked about those. Maybe it's a relationship where, where you want to believe, you want to hold on, you want something to change, but you just kind of feel like nothing's ever gonna change and you're fighting against hopelessness. Or maybe it's a struggle Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe it's a temptation or some other kind of struggle. Maybe it's a struggle with some sort of sin or some sort of behavior. And, and you're valiantly fighting battles. 
and some of them you win and, and, and you think that maybe that's a turning point for you, but every battle you win, the enemy forces come back doubly strong and they kick your tail and they leave you sulking. Worse, they leave you believing that you may win the battle, but you're never gonna win the war. Where in life are you fighting hopelessness? Where do you believe there's no way out? No possibility of change. No happy ending. Today I want to ask you, can you believe that God can do the impossible for you? See, that's what hope is. It's not pretending that everything's fine when it's not. It's not going out into the world and putting on a happy face or denying your pain and saying, everything's awesome. That's just dishonesty or that's naivete or that's inauthenticity. See, hope is acknowledging the the impossibility of your circumstances, the impossibility of where you sit. This is important for you to know. It's acknowledging that. It's being open about that. And yet it's also acknowledging that, that, man, there is a God who can do anything. It's, It's bathing the impossibility of your circumstances with trust in a God who is good, a God who loves you, and a God for whom nothing is impossible. See, today, can, can you believe that in whatever you're fighting, in whatever place in your life you're fighting hopelessness, can you believe that's true? That God is good, that he's not responsible for this, this situation in your life, or this struggle, or this pain, or this relationship. That, that that was sent to destroy you, but he is so good that he can actually turn that around and use that for your good. Can you believe that? And today, can you believe that God loves you? Even though you may question that, you may not feel loved, you may feel forsaken, can you believe today that God loves you deeply, that he's loved you before you ever were? That in love, he knit you together in your mother's womb. In love, he sent his son into the world. In love, he he sent his son to the cross. In love, he raised his son again from the dead. That nothing can now separate you from his love, not your action, not who you are, nothing you've done or haven't done. Can you believe that he loves you? But also, can you believe that nothing is impossible for him? That he has the power either to change your circumstances like he did for Mary, or to change you so that your circumstances, they they don't beat up on you and weigh on you in the way that they are currently doing? Can you believe that's true? See, see, get this. For us as Christians, if, if that's who you are, hope isn't just some wish. It's not some thing that we dream about. But hope is, is truth. It's a historic reality. It happened here in time. It's fact. Hope unfolded before our eyes on our soil that first Easter day. As Jesus appeared to Mary and then other disciples, he showed himself to be alive. He brought hope back into the world. Today, can you believe on Easter that he can do the same for you, that he is good, that he loves you, and that nothing is impossible? See, my my hope for you today is that even if you're in a place where you feel so burnt, you feel so hopeless, that you'll walk away from this place knowing deep down that nothing is impossible for him. Because in that truth, there's hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you did not leave Jesus in the grave. If you had, our hopes would be foolish. We'd just be naive. We'd be, we'd be fooling ourselves. But 
Father, because you raised Jesus from the grave, you showed us that nothing is impossible. You can raise someone who's been dead for days and you can give him new life. Father, what else can you do? There's nothing else you can't do. So today, no matter where we're feeling hopelessness, Father, no matter where we're fighting against it, remind us that you're good. Help us trust that. Even when we're, we're, we're confused or it feels like maybe you're not good, remind us that you are good and you can turn the pain in our lives, the difficulty in our lives around for good. Father, remind us that you love us. Let us never hear the voice of the evil one in our ears telling us that we are unlovable or that we've disqualified ourselves from your love. You've made a way for us to be loved eternally and you've done that through Jesus. And Father, just remind us of that today. And Father, remind us that nothing is impossible for you. Bring hope in our Easter today. We pray in the name of Jesus.